The scripture reading comes from Hebrews chapters three and four. Please follow along on the screen. It's on the screen. Okay. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and said, "They always go astray in their heart; they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exalt one another every day. As long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, um, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give account one day. This is the word of God. Great, thank you, Rhoda. Okay, so we've been talking this weekend a bit about um, discipleship and the need and the desire for us to be men and women. Um, who disciple other men and women to mature followers of Jesus who pour out our lives for the sake of others so that they can become followers of Jesus that help other people become followers of Jesus. And yesterday we had um, a couple of pictures. The one picture we had yesterday morning was that tree. And we said, okay, who are the branches of people that you want to pour and invest your life into that are going to do that to others and going to produce fruit? And um, that picture of a tree is such a helpful one for me. I've, as I said yesterday, I've often sat in a coffee shop with someone and drawn this tree and said, okay, this is you. Who are you pouring yourself into? A- another thing is, um, if you think of your hand, you know that WhatsApp emojicon? They're like, all right, okay. So if you think about this, I like to think, who are the three Christians that you invest in your life into, that you're praying for, connecting with, encouraging them, and who are two uh, unbelievers that you are praying for and encouraging and investing your life into? And five people may be a lot, and so there's no pressure. This isn't like, okay, now you need to find five people and meet up with them every week, okay? We've all got busy lives. But um, I think if you start with, if you have five people on a list— Chances are maybe some of them are too busy or aren't going to want to, but maybe you can come down to one or two people and you can meet up with once a month. Just start off with once a month and say, okay, once a month we're going to connect and read the Bible. Um, Once a month I'm going to 
yeah, get together with you, find out how you're doing and pray with you. Uh, those are going to be people that I've got on my heart often when I'm on the MTR or I'm waiting at the bus stop. I'm praying for them. I'm going to text them, say, hey, buddy, just praying for you today or really got you on my heart. So just who are five people that you are thinking of and walking with regularly, right? And um doesn't mean you need to become super busy now and cram all these extra meetings just as you do normal life. So you've got a free lunchtime. Hey, why don't you text someone and say, hey, tomorrow got a free lunch, are you free, let's get together, or as you're running an errand, include someone in on that errand, or as you're taking your kids to swimming lessons and they stay nearby, hey, do you want to come with me, just include people in your everyday life and do life together, okay, and um, reading the Bible 101 isn't the only way to disciple people, there's a whole lot, but it's, it's one tool that I want to encourage us in, and uh, this morning we're going to talk about why. Why the Bible? Why do we not just simply listen to podcasts or just share our ideas or just counsel or mentor people? What's so unique about God's Word and the Scriptures? Why is this such an uh, important and a powerful tool when we want to disciple people? Okay, And so to look at that, or to answer that, we're going to look at Hebrews 3 and 4 that Rhoda read to us. Now, Hebrews 3 and 4 is kind of one flow of thought. Um, of thought, and the the flow is this: What's happening is the writer is urging the followers of Jesus to keep going and to persevere in their faith. He's going to say to them, "Look, it's great that you believed in God and that you made a decision to follow Jesus. That's great, but that's not enough. You can't say, listen, when I was you know eighteen, I got baptized, or once upon a time I made this decision to follow Jesus. The rest is done." I'm sorted now. What he's going to say is a follower of Jesus isn't just somebody who makes a decision once upon a time. A follower of Jesus is someone who walks with Christ by faith, through faith and repentance and loving and trusting him all of their life until they get to glory. Okay? So let me say it again. A follower of Jesus isn't just someone who made a decision once upon a time. A follower of Jesus, a Christian, is someone who walks faith and repentance, faith and repentance, loving, trusting, and obeying Jesus all the days of their life imperfectly, up and down, making mistakes, sure, but all of our life until that day where we get to glory. Look at how he says it in verse 6. I don't know if you've got verse 6 there in your books. I might have forgotten to put it in there. He says here, we are his house, in other words, the people of God, if indeed we hold fast our confidence. Okay? So you serve God now, that's great, but you must persevere if you're going to obtain God's promises, if you're going to obtain God's blessings, if you're going to get to heaven one day. We can't just say, okay, once upon a time I made that decision. We must persevere and continue to the end. We are God's house if indeed we hold fast our confidence. Remember Colossians chapter 1 says the same thing. He says here, I think we got it up here. He says, you, me, us, We were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, but God has reconciled us in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So that's the gospel, right? We sinners, Jesus died. He's going to one day present us holy and blameless and without any fault before the Father if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you once heard. And so this is really important, that sometimes we can think, oh, once upon a time I had a dynamic encounter with God. I know I'm saved. My eternal destiny is secure. It's all fine. I'll just live my own life the way I want to now. And God says, don't be so presumptuous. 
A Christian is someone who perseveres all the way to the end. Now, the good news is this, that if you are a genuine Christian, Jesus is actually holding on to you more than you holding on to him. Remember, Simon quoted Colossians, uh, Philippians 1, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So the, one of the ways that you know that he's begun a good work in you is that you persevere to the end. And this is what the whole book of Hebrews is about. It's urging and encouraging and assuring Christians to keep going, keep holding on to Jesus, keep your faith, keep continuing in what you believed, okay? Now, so he says, verse 6, we are his people if indeed we hold our confidence firm to the end. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as your forefathers did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Verse 10, therefore I was provoked with that generation and I swore in my wrath they shall never enter my rest. Okay, so what's happening here? Remember, God's people come out of Egypt. They saved by the blood of the Lamb, by the grace of God. They come out of Egypt, and then God says, okay, that's only half the journey. Now I want to take you into the promised land where you get to experience my rest and my blessing and my promises. But what happened? Numbers 13 and 14, Moses sends 12 spies to go and spy out the land. And he says, go find out which way we should go. Should we go this way or should we go this way? Should we attack the cities from this side or from this side? So he says, go and find out what's the land like. Come back and tell us how we can enter God's rest. And the spies come back and they say, yes, the land is good. The food is good. It's very spacious. There's enough space for all of us. But there's giants in the land. The giants are too big. I think we should, no, we should, no, no, let's just go back to Egypt. No, we shouldn't go in. And Joshua and Caleb say, no, 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 God has promised. God is faithful. He's told us if we trust him, we'll get to the rest. We'll get to what he's promised. And the, the 10 spies say, no, it's, it's too hard. I don't think we can do it. And the spies spread a, spread a bad report. And all of Israel don't believe God's promises, and they don't go into the promised land. The voice of unbelief is louder in their ears than God's voice of faithfulness and trustworthiness. And so they believe the voice of unbelief in their hearts rather than believing God's promises of his faithfulness and his trustworthiness. Okay? And so the writer of Hebrews here is giving these Christians a warning, and he's saying, what happened to these guys, don't let that happen to you and I. It's one thing to get saved from Egypt, but that's not the done deal. God's plan is that you get to glory. And he's saying for us Christians in 21st century Hong Kong, it's one thing that you believed in Jesus and got saved by the blood of the Lamb, but that's not the end of the deal. He wants to take you into glory, into his rest. And to do that, we've got to trust his promises and believe him. Don't let what happened to them happen to us because they did not enter God's rest. Okay, does that make sense? You're tracking the logic? Okay, verse 11. I swore in my wrath they will never enter my rest. Friends, we face the same challenges today. We tempted to trust the voice of unbelief rather than the promises of God every single day. When it comes to relationships and dating and sexuality, or we listen to the voice of unbelief, which says we better take things in our own hands, fulfill our own happiness, or will we trust God's promises to us? When it comes to money and wealth and what we do with our money, are we going to listen to the voice of unbelief 
hoping and trusting what money can do for us. It'll make us happy. It'll keep us safe, guarantee our future. Or are we going to trust the promises of God when it comes to our career or honesty or integrity? Every one of us are challenged, tempted to trust the voice of unbelief. And so look at what his recommendation is here. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. He says, So take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart, leading us to fall away from the living God. That's what happened in the desert. They fell away from God's promises. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, so remember we spoke about this last year at the retreat. This is one of the most important verses talking about spiritual community. And um, the reason is because he says that sin, and particularly unbelief, makes our hearts hard and it deceives us. And so we need brothers and sisters around us encouraging us and exhorting us to keep our hearts soft to Jesus. And so that's why we need spiritual community. So remember last year, the way we spoke about this, we said, when I sin, which is hundreds of times a day, and when I'm um, tempted not to believe in God, what happens? What happens in my heart? Something happens. I justify myself and I get defensive, right? So the, a decision comes my way and I think, let me trust the voice of unbelief. Let me take the matters into my own hand rather than trusting God. Automatically, the first response in my heart is I justify myself and I get defensive. I tell myself, yeah, well, yeah, it's a good reason to do that because this and this and this and this. And what happens is my heart starts to grow hard towards God and I no longer want to trust Him. Okay? But the problem is that when I do that, I don't confess my sin and the idols of my heart don't get dislodged. They just get re-entrenched. And over time, I find it easier and easier to fall away from God. Okay? Does that make sense? So what do I need in that situation? What, what do I need in that time? I need two things, okay? I need to hear God's voice. I need God's word to come and speak against the voice of unbelief and to remind me of God's promises and his faithfulness. I need God's word to penetrate into my heart of unbelief and to say, trust God. He is faithful. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust money. Don't trust whatever. Trust God. What do the Israelites need? They need the voice of God to say, yes, they're giants in the land, but God is faithful. Trust him. But the second thing I need is I need friends. I need brothers and sisters to come around me. Look at what verse 12 says. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in, you any, in any of you an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from God. Therefore, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that you do not get hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So I need Christian brothers and sisters around me. I need my wife, and I need Oscar, and Simon, and Ed, and staff, and CG leaders to come around me and say, Kevin, you're making a silly decision. Trust God. Don't trust yourself. Okay, does that make sense? You're following the logic. Okay. Look at verse 14. He says, For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Okay, it's the same as verse 6. We've got to hold on to Jesus. Verse 15. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, not just your friend's voice, not just Oprah Winfrey's voice, or Dr. Phil's voice, or some opinion's voice, or the Washington Post's voice, or the New Yorker's voice. Today, if you hear his voice, his voice, do not harden your hearts. We need Christian family, brothers and sisters around us, who will help us to hear God's voice and hold our faith firm to the end. See, friends, when I'm 
uh, tempted not to believe God, I don't just need friends to come around me and say, Kevin, I know you can do it. I know you can. You're such a good man. You've got such good faith. Oh, I, I know you can do it. That's not what I need to hear. What I need is to someone to look me in the eye and say, Kevin, I know you're tempted not to trust God. He is faithful. He is trustworthy. Trust his word. Listen to him. I need people to bring God's word to me so that God's word will put faith in my heart, not just the opinions of man and woman. Today, if you hear his voice, we need people to bring us God's voice. So let me give you an example. When I'm tempted to be greedy, hold on to some money, and actually I know God wants, to, wants me to give it away. So let's say I've got some uh, I've got some money, and I feel like God wants me to give it away to someone or something or some cause. Do you know what happens? Every time that that happens, the first thing that goes in my the fir- there's a bunch of thoughts that go through my mind, which is I find some way to tell myself why I shouldn't do it. You never know what's going to happen. You know, the economy's tough. You might just need to save up a little more. Or, Kevin, your first responsibility is to look after your family. Just make sure you've got enough for them. There's a thousand voices that go through my mind justifying why I shouldn't trust God and I should hold on to it, okay? What I don't need is Claire to come to me or some friends or brothers to say, Kevin, you got such a good heart. I'm sure God understands. I'm I'm sure God understands. Or, uh, you know, maybe just give away some of it. Maybe just half of it. I think God will be happy. I don't need the opinions of friends. I need God's voice. I need someone. I need Claire or my friends to come and say, Kevin, God is trustworthy. Has he ever let you down? Has he ever not fulfilled his promises? Has he ever left you high and dry? No, you can trust him. To bring God's word. Today, if you hear his voice, not just your friend's voice, do not harden your hearts. If friends bring me my own opinions... It's not going to be powerful enough to confront the idols in my heart, and I'll find a way of justifying myself or telling myself that their wisdom doesn't apply to me. So let's say um, Sukai comes to me, and uh, we're having coffee, and I'm sharing this thing. If he just gives me his opinion, as, as true as that may be, I'm going to find a way in my mind of telling myself, yeah, but it doesn't apply in this situation. You know, it's true for him, but what's true for him isn't true for me, Right? But if he brings me God's word, he opens up God's word and says, Hey, Kevin, let's just look at what God says here. He says this, That word finds a way of penetrating my defenses and putting faith in my heart and encouraging me to trust him. Okay? Here's another example. Let's say someone is tempted to move in with their girlfriend or go on a romantic holiday away, just the two of them. By the way, that's not a good idea. Don't do that if you're tempted. What, do, what, do, what does our friend need? They don't just need someone saying, "Mm, that might not be a best idea. Um, Let's think about that. What do they need? They need us to bring God's word to put faith in their heart. Because otherwise we'll find a million reasons to justify our decision. We'll say, oh, you know, housing in Hong Kong is so expensive. It just makes financial sense. It's prudent. It's good stewardship of our finances, right? Or we'll say, well, we're just checking that we're compatible before we get married. You know, we don't want to make a mistake. So we're just checking that we're compatible. We'll find a thousand reasons to justify ourselves. But what we need in that situation is someone to bring the light and the power of God's voice to shine in our hearts, to arrest our fears, to give us faith, to help us see the foolishness of our decisions, and to turn to God in faith and trust Him. And it's not just sin. What about a challenge comes your way? So what happens? Your child gets diagnosed with some 
disease or some sickness or some um, challenge, right? We don't just need someone to come and say, oh, you know, you've been such a faithful Christian. I'm sure God's going to look after you. That's just your opinion. We need someone to come and bring God's word, to speak God's word into our hearts, to give us faith, to trust him, to arrest the voices of unbelief and to put faith in our hearts that we can trust him in the midst of challenges and difficulties. For the Israelites, at the moment of decision, the voice of God's faithfulness was drowned out by the voice of unbelief. So God said, will you trust me to go into the promised land? And the voice of unbelief saying the giants are too big, the food's not good enough, the battle's going to be too hard. That voice was too loud in their ears. And so they listened to that voice rather than the voice of God's faithfulness. Okay. Now, all that to say, let's look at chapter 4. In chapter 4, he's going to continue the same train of thought. Okay. And so look at verse 11. He says here, don't fail to, tr- to enter God's rest by hardening our hearts. Verse 11. Therefore, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall away by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom they must give an account. See, friends, for you and I to become the people that God's called us to be, to make disciples and to help other people make disciples and to obtain the promises of God and to get to heaven, God calls us to do the same things that he called them to, which is to trust him even in the midst of great difficulty and even in the face of great opposition. They didn't trust him because they saw the giants and the obstacles. They didn't become the people God had called them to be because in the face of challenges, they weren't able to quieten the voice of unbelief. Okay, So what did they need to foster that belief? What did they need in order to trust God and get to the promised land? They needed God's word and God's voice to be louder and more powerful in their minds and their hearts than the voice of unbelief. Okay, And so they needed to hear God's word. Verse 2 says they needed to hear the gospel. It says, for the good news came to them as just as it comes to us. They needed to hear God's word. And so let's look at this description of God's word. Okay, Look at what he says here. He says, the word of God is living and active. What does that mean? What does it mean when God's word is living and active? Okay, it's relevant, yeah? What are the thoughts? It's powerful, yeah? It's got a life of its own. Actually, it can activate life. It can cause stuff to happen. It's not blunt and dull, right? I don't know if you've, um, I know most Hong Kongers, we're such city slickers. You might never have done this. But if by some chance you've ever tried to chop wood with an axe, okay? Have you tried to do that? I was chatting to someone the other day about some analogy from the Bible about sheep and farming. And he was like, Bro, I live in Hong Kong. I've got nothing. I don't know about sheep and farming. Okay, so if you know about chopping wood, okay, my my parents in Cape Town, uh, we were there in July and it was winter and they've got a wood fire and so they've got a whole bunch of wood outside and so I was trying to chop some wood. Um, and uh, if you've ever tried to chop wood with a blunt axe, do you know what happens? You bring it down and you can as hard as you want and it just bounces off the wood. It's like ding and just bounces straight up and it doesn't do anything. But if you sharpen that axe, it just splits it so beautifully. 
straight down the middle, and you just get all these pieces, okay? God's Word is living and active. It's sharp. It accomplishes what it wants to do. It doesn't bounce off. It's not like our opinions. When we listen to people's opinions, if I'm struggling with something, and Claire just gives me her opinions, sometimes it's like, yeah, okay, I can kind of see that. Yeah, that maybe makes sense. But God's Word isn't just blunt. It doesn't bounce off our hearts. It's able to penetrate our hearts and because it's living and active and it's as sharp as ever. I don't know if you've ever experienced this where maybe you were reading God's Word on your own or maybe you were in a CG or listening to a sermon or listening to a podcast and somebody opened up God's Word and it just came alive to you and you're like, oh my goodness. Like God spoke to you like God was right in the room. Have you ever experienced that? I've got a bunch of experiences like that. I'm going to tell you one or two stories. So I remember um, I was uh, 20 years old in Cape Town and uh, uh, my first year in Cape Town. And pretty much I had grown up in this church family and church culture in Johannesburg in South Africa. And this church culture Everyone just spoke about planting churches and going to ministry. That was like what everyone wanted to do, okay? Um, and so I, as this very religious, youthful person, I thought I'd serve God so hard, and I was such a faithful, diligent Christian youth. And my dream as a teenager was I wanted to plant a church or lead a church in Asia. So when I went to first year university, I studied Mandarin. Just, I can't remember anything, but... um. I studied Mandarin because I wanted to lead a church in Asia. That was, like my, that was all I wanted to do with my life. And I remember I felt like God had said that uh, you will go to another nation, not, not South Africa. You, you, I will send you to another country. And, I, and Asia was my passion. Um, anyway, I'm now living in Cape Town. I'm 20 years old, and I'm just feeling useless. I feel like, God, you could never use someone like me. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not talented enough. And I remember praying this. I was house-sitting a friend's house. And I was walking around the house one Friday evening. And I was just saying, you know, God, I've really tried to serve you. I've tried to be faithful. But I think it's all been in vain. I remember using that word. It's all been in vain because you could never use someone like me. I'm just not gifted enough. I'm not talented enough. I guess I'll just be like, I know, a car salesman or something in Cape Town. And, you know, it's all just been a pipe dream. That night, I opened my Bible. And I opened to Isaiah 49. I was busy reading through the book of Isaiah, so I'm like, before I go to bed, I better read my Bible. Go to Isaiah 49, and Isaiah 49 says this. It says, I will make your mouth sharp like an arrow. He's talking about being a preacher. And he says, you say you've spent your strength in vain, but I say I've got plans and purposes for you. I will send you as a light to the nations, to the, uh, to the Gentiles, to the, to the nations far away. So right there, I'm like, oh, God, I have this dream, but I guess, you know, it's all been in vain. Open God's word says, you say it's all been in vain, but I've got a plan for you. You will go to the nations. Isn't that incredible? That night, it was like Jesus was in the room speaking to me. His word was living and active. I remember um, a few years ago, um, I was sitting in church. I was leading the meeting, and my friend called Ian Kruger was preaching. And he was preaching from John 21. Remember John 21, Jesus has died, he's risen from the dead, and he goes and he finds the disciples, they're fishing on the boat, and he calls them ashore, and he says to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. He says, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Feed my lambs. A third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. Take care of my sheep. 
And so my friend Ian is preaching, and he says, why does Jesus ask Peter three times? And I sit there, I'm thinking, yeah, that's a good question. I have no idea. I've often wondered about that. Why does Jesus ask Peter three times, do you love me? And then Ian says, well, remember earlier how Peter had said to Jesus, even if everyone denies you and runs away, I will never deny you. I'll be faithful. And then the next chapter, where's Peter? He's standing at the coal of fires, and he denies Jesus. And he denies Jesus a second time. And he denies Jesus a third time. And then after that, Jesus goes to him, and three times, the same number of times he denied him, he elicits a proclamation from his mouth saying, I love you, Lord. I love you. What's Jesus doing there? He's saying to Peter, Peter, I knew, I know how many times you denied me, but I know in your heart that you still love me. And you feel guilty and you feel ashamed and you feel like your calling has been written off. But I'm going to help you see that actually you do love me and it's not done. And I'm not finished with you and I've still got a plan and purpose for you. And as my friend Ian was explaining that, as soon as he said, Peter denied Jesus three times, it was like the penny dropped. And I just remember tears streaming down my eyes and I was like, oh my goodness, God's mercy is unbelievable. It was like God's word just exploded in my heart. It's like, oh my heck, how gracious is Jesus that Peter denies him three times and Jesus says, you know, Peter, I know about that and it's okay. I still love you and I know you love me and I'm going to help you see that you love me and I'm going to send you out to go and be my agent. God's word exploded in my heart and it was just like tears just streamed down my face. I remember another time listening to a John Piper sermon expounding God's sovereignty from Isaiah 46, where he says, I am the one who calls things before they even exist. I speak about them. Things that have not yet been done, I proclaim them. I will accomplish my purposes. I will bring them to pass. There is no one like me. And as he just opened that up line by line and explained it, it was like this combustion of explosion in my heart. It was like God's word cuts my heart and I knew that I knew that I knew. God is sovereign. There is no one and nothing in all the world that can thwart his sovereignty. But I didn't just need someone saying, you know, Kevin, God is sovereign. You can trust him. God's word needed to get in my heart and to dispel the disbelief in my mind so that I could trust him. So why is that? The reason is because these words aren't just words on a page and they aren't just advice. These are living words. It isn't just information for our minds. It's getting to our heart so that we can encounter God and His Word. When we disciple people by reading God's Word with them, whether they're Christians or not, the goal isn't just information in their minds. The goal is that they encounter God through His Word. That's why we open it up, so that we can meet with God. Now, look at what Simon said. He says it's living and active, which means it's always fresh. It's never obsolete. So think about this. Every day, technology makes thousands of books completely obsolete, right? Especially textbooks. Have you ever picked up a textbook from like the 1920s or something, or the 1950s? There's a whole lot of stuff that is completely obsolete. Friends, this book, the words here is never, are never ever going to be obsolete, Because God's word is eternally relevant. It's as relevant to the next generation as it was to the people 2,000 years ago. It's living and it's fresh and it's active. It's never obsolete. Look at what also he says here. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. God's word is 
so sharp it's able to dissect what's going on in our lives and speak to the deepest areas of our lives, even the areas that no one knows about. So again, I don't know if you've ever had this where you're grappling with something and you're struggling or maybe you've got fear or there's something you're not so sure about or you're wondering about something and somebody opens up God's word or you go to church or you go to CG and it speaks exactly to what you're wrestling with. But nobody knew you were resting with it. It was like the secret in your heart. And you're like, oh my goodness, have you been listening to my thoughts? How did you know I was wondering about that? You've experienced that? Okay. So here's another story. Isaiah 49, okay? Remember, 20 years old. So five years later, I'm having the same thoughts. I'm like, oh God, I've really, I've tried so hard. I've tried to serve you, but I, I'm just such a mess. You'll never be able to use someone like me. My brothers, yeah, you can use my brothers, but me, oh my goodness, my heart is just like, I'm a mess. Anyway, I have forgotten about that time five years previously. So I go to my friend, my friend John Smythe, and um, John says to me, I go have coffee with him, he's a much older gentleman, he's in his 70s, and we're having coffee, and he says, hey, I've been praying for you this week, and I asked God to give me a scripture for you, but God didn't give me anything. So let's just read the Bible together. He says, hey, why don't you open to Isaiah 49? Let's just read it together. And, and I'd forgotten. So we're reading it. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is the scripture God gave me five years ago. You say you spent your strength in vain. But I say I've got purposes for you. I'll send you to nations as a light to the ends of the earth. Exactly what I was struggling with. Nobody knew it. Exactly what I was wrestling with. God's word was sharp and living and active is able to discern the hearts and thoughts. I remember when Claire and I were wondering to come to Hong Kong. We came to visit two years ago, and we met a whole bunch of you guys. And at the end of the trip, it was on the Saturday night, and we were exhausted, and we were finished, and we felt completely weak, and we were like, oh, God, if you're calling us here, you're making a mistake, because we have got nothing to bring to Watermark, okay? And... Um, I remember just feeling like, God, I'm so weak. I've got, I've got nothing, 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 nothing. That night I opened my Bible, reading 2 Corinthians 13, and it says this. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Just that day I was thinking, God, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And as I read that, it, God's word dissected my heart and my mind and spoke faith into my heart. And suddenly I realized, God, you're calling us here. It's fine. I know we're weak, but you say that you'll be with us. Two weeks after that, we go back to Cape Town, and um, we kind of knew God was calling us to Hong Kong. But one of the things I was worried about was I was like, God, Hong Kong is so expensive. It's so expensive. How are we ever going to like afford to live there? And it's not going to like... It's just not going to work. So the one Monday, I'm driving. I drop Sierra at school, and then I'm driving to the office. And while I'm driving in my car, I pray this prayer. I say, God, I just need to know that you know that I'm worried about finances, right? You don't need to tell me what the answer is, but I just need to know that you know that I'm, that I'm worried, okay? And I'm like, so I'm praying this prayer. I go to the office. We have a staff meeting, and there's another organization that's joined us. So there are 80 people in the room. And one of my friends is leading the staff meeting, and he says, okay, today we're going to do scripture memorization. And he talks about memorizing the Bible, and then he gives each one of us a scripture to memorize in three minutes and then to say to the person next to us. And so 80 different scriptures around the room. And so I get one, and I'm thinking about it, memorizing, I'm saying it, Philippians 4, it's going over. And then I say to my friend, oh, this is the verse I had to memorize, and my God will supply everything you need 
according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And as I say that, I'm like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I needed. My God will supply everything you need. Just half an hour before, I've been saying, God, I'm so worried. I don't know how it's going to work. God, like, just, I, I just need a sign that you know. God's word just came. And in that moment, it was those faith in my heart. You see, come back to Hebrews 3. What is going in my heart? I was tempted to listen to the voice of unbelief. The voice of doubt was so loud in my ears. Now, in theory, I knew that God was faithful. If you had said to me, Kevin, do you believe God is faithful? Yes, in my head, I knew God is faithful. But in that moment, my heart didn't believe it. My head understood it. But there was a disconnect between the theology in my head and actually what my heart was trusting in. In my heart, the voice of unbelief was loud. What did I need? I needed God's word to come and arrest the doubts and the fears and the unbelief in my heart, to put faith in my heart so that my heart trusted God and so that I could go ahead and trust him. Now, of course, sometimes God's friends, sometimes our friends can do that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can just use a friend. But generally, I find my friends, their advice is good, but it's kind of a bit blunt. But God's word, when it opens up God's word, it speaks to my heart and it gives me such faith. God, through his word, finds a way of cutting through the stuff and getting to heart. It somehow knows what my fears and anxieties are. It speaks to those. It knows where I'm proud and it humbles me. It knows where I'm short-sighted and opens my eyes. It knows where I'm lacking faith and I need faith. It's razor sharp like a knife that cuts to my heart and speaks the deepest part of me. Okay, does that make sense? Okay, we're almost, almost done. So think about this. In Genesis chapter 3, the devil comes to Adam and Eve, or Genesis 2, and he tempts them to rebel against God. And sin enters the world and there's a mess. But how does he do it? What does the devil say to Adam and Eve? Remember, he comes and he undermines God's word. He says, did God really say that? He makes them doubt God's word. He puts seeds of doubt and unbelief. He wants to drown out God's word. But the second thing he does is he twists God's word. Remember, God had said, you can eat of any tree you want. There's just that one tree. Don't eat of that. The devil comes to Eve and says, did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? I mean, that's not very kind of him. He twists God's word and subtly twists it so that Eve starts to doubt the faithfulness of God's word. Because the devil knows that if he can malign God's voice and God's word, he's won half the battle. Now, just on a side note, that's why there's three implications of this. One implication is this. Every Sunday at Watermark, we're going to teach God's word. You don't need to hear my opinions. My opinions are meaningless. They're rubbish. They're not, they don't going to help you in your situation. When in the day-to-day trenches of life, the voice of unbelief is loud in your ears, you don't need to hear the blunt acts of my thoughts and opinions. You need to hear God's word. That's why every Sunday we're going to try and open up God's word. Second implication is this. Let's have devotions and get into God's word. Okay, We need God's word. It can, one morning you're struggling with something, you open up your Bible, God's word can speak to us. But the third implication is this. On Sunday mornings, can I ask you, please pray for us as a church. Throughout the sermon, just be praying. God, speak to us. God, let your word come alive. On the way to church, be praying. God, we want to hear your word this morning. We don't just want to be entertained. God, come speak your word to us. Okay, so three quick implications. Look at verse 13 with me here. Okay. So God's word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from his sight. 
all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Now, does that sound like a description of God or a description of God's word? Okay, that to me sounds like a description of God. But we've just been talking about God's word, right? It says God's word is living and active. God's word is sharp. And then it says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. What's going on here? Well, if you, um, in the scriptures, God's word is so aligned to God himself that in many ways, what God does, his word does, and what God's word does is the same thing that God does. Now, that doesn't mean that this is God. Okay, We don't bow down and worship his word. But God's word is so aligned to God himself that what God does is what his word does. Uh, last week, Chris Liu uh, read Psalm 29 for us as our call to worship. Uh, I think we've got it up on the screen. Let's look at Psalm 29. Okay, Look at this. Look at verse 5. It says, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness. So who's... Who, it, it's a description of God's power and authority. Is God's word powerful and, and authoritative, or is God powerful and authoritative? Well, the answer is both, right? Both. We see, friends, that God's word carries authority and power because God inhabits his word. When we open up the word, when someone sits across the table with us, when we read God's word in CG, when we let it speak to us, it has power and authority because it's living and it's active. It knows and discerns the intentions of our hearts, our private thoughts. God can speak directly into our lives with more piercing clarity than anything you and I are able to think of of our own. God's word is able to cut through our fears and give us faith. But you know what? Last thought is this. You know, the book of Hebrews is all about persevering to the end. But the book of Hebrews is actually not about God's word. The book of Hebrews is actually about God himself. You see, all of us, you and I, we just like the Israelites. We don't trust God. We don't love him supremely. We don't always obey him. We're tempted to trust ourselves. And we don't always um, obey him. But, you know, God continued to give his word to his people. He sent prophet after prophet after prophet to continue to give them God's word, to pour faith in our hearts and to cause us to trust him. But we, just like the Israelites, we spurn and reject his word time and time again, even though he's so gracious. But God is not done with us because over and above giving us his word and sending prophet after prophet, he did more than that. He sent us, his word became flesh. He sent us his son. You see, through the prophets and through the law, God was revealing himself to his people. But through Jesus, he reveals himself ultimately. And so Hebrews 1 actually starts off and it says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to his people through his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, by Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the whole world. This son, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Friends, the good news of the gospel is that though you and I day after day fall away from God, and like the Israelites, we listen to the voice of unbelief, we trust ourselves, we let fear rule our hearts rather than faith. 
God's living word. Jesus comes to us again and again and again and reminds us that he is faithful, he is trustworthy, his promises are true, and that we can bank our lives on him. He's the one that came when we were dead and made us alive. He's the one who poured faith into our hearts. He's the one who, by grace, we have been saved because of him. And so that's why Hebrews 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, Let's go to the next slide. That clings so closely, running with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Looking to Jesus, to the Word made flesh, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Friends, as beautiful and as magnificent and as glorious as the scriptures are, the Bible didn't die on the cross for us, the Bible didn't take away our sins. The Bible brings God's word into our hearts, but ultimately we look to Jesus. And the reason we come to God's word is because it shows us Jesus beautifully and powerfully. The word made flesh. God's word says to us what the people of God have always needed to hear, that God is faithful and that we can trust him. Let's come before him now. Let's do that together. Let's pray. Father God, uh, thank you so much for your, God, thank you that you're such a faithful God. Christ, you are so incredibly faithful. God, we are just like the Israelites, God. Every day we are tempted to listen to the voice of unbelief. God, every day we trust ourselves rather than you. God, you are so exceedingly, abundantly, incredibly patient and gracious. And we are so grateful, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your mercy and your grace, God. Thank you, God, as Romans says, where sin abounded, grace superabounded all the more. Father, thank you for your faithfulness, God. God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you'll make us as a church people of your word, Lord. Pray make your word come alive to us, God. We want your word to be at work in our hearts and in our lives. God, send your word to penetrate our hearts. I pray, Father, for each one of us here where fear and doubt has gripped us, God, and is the, the reality of our hearts. God, I pray that your word will cut like a knife and penetrate to the depths of our heart and implant faith into our hearts, God. May we trust you, God. God, I pray in a moment your word of faith will arrest the fear and arrest the doubt and arrest the unbelief, God, and pour faith into our hearts that we will trust you, God. Father, we don't know the battles that so many of us are facing and the challenges that so many of us are facing. God, we don't minimize those challenges, but God, we look to you. Help us to trust you, God. Father, we pray that our hearts won't be hardened, but that we can hold fast our confidence firm to the end, that we'll get to uh, inherit the promises of God and enjoy that rest. And God, as we seek to disciple each other and make disciple-making disciples, God, let your word light a fire in us that explodes in our heart and spreads beyond us, God, like a flame throughout Hong Kong, God. Oh, Lord, we pray, come and help us in your wonderful and powerful name.